Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mets fans, welcome back to Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we recorded this podcast last week directly after the Max Scherzer trade, right before the Max Scherzer trade. I can't remember now. Oh, that that is a good question. I, I think it was like before. It was, yeah, I think it was before. Yeah, so they had traded David Robertson, and we were debating who was going to get traded for the rest of the uh, time before the deadline. And boy, did we get it wrong. Um, I had said Verlander was staying put. <laughs> Verlander and Scherzer were both moved along with Dominic Leone, a name I saw nowhere in any trade deadline coverage, as well as Tommy Pham and Mark Canna. And um, look, I, 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 there's a lot of complicated feelings that come from all all areas of this, but I want to start at just sort of the baseline where we begin the show every week, which is the vibe check. So how, how you're feeling about the Mets. Now, I know that you and I are typically slower to close the door on a season than others are, but do you feel like right now the Mets have slammed the door shut on being competitive <laughs> for 2023? Yeah, I'd say that's a fair assessment. Um, it, I don't know. I guess I always try to find the optimistic take when it comes to the Mets and uh, the major league Mets are, are a lost cause right now. But if they were going to be a lost cause, rather go this way than hang around, you'd finish the season at or just under 500. Um, Maybe today they'd be four games back of the third wild card instead of seven or whatever it is. Yeah, it, I don't know if you're if you're not going to make the cut, then going all in on just a revamp of the organization. I, I think that's a good strategy to take. So the major league team right now is. Um, I've questioned why I've been watching it over the last few days. I mean, there's some there's some sense that I'm still going to miss this when the offseason hits um, much sooner for the Mets than you know, 12 <laughs> other teams in baseball. But um, it's still nice to listen to uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron. Uh, really, really nice to listen to Gary, especially over the last few days. Um with him having taken a series off 
but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it it's not a good uh, feel around the major league team right now. Yeah, and um, I, I I guess this is the time to talk about it before we get into the, the trades, sort of specifically and who is gone and who is brought in and all of that. I find it a little bit shocking how quickly this team has gone from below average baseball team to absolutely unwatchable baseball team because the players that were traded away for the most part were either role players or pitchers and not that you know look today Tyler McGill is going to start for the Mets and that might be an absolute disaster in which case we will certainly miss Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander today but on a Kodai Senga start, there is no reason that we should really be feeling the absence of those other two starting pitchers. And yet this team, I mean, I, I was at the game on Sunday, my first Mets game of the year. Verlander pitched. It was uh, a very good game. It was, just on a personal note, perhaps the most beautiful day I've ever spent at the ballpark. Just the perfect temperature. We were in the shade where we were sitting. Just an absolutely gorgeous day. But the team was playing well-ish. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like they're probably going to sell, but, you know, maybe they would be not terrible for the final, you know, seven weeks of the season or nine weeks of the season, whatever it is. And yet, almost as soon as the trades were done, the Mets just turned into a pumpkin and have looked absolutely unwatchable. Now, part of that is that for three games, they lost Brandon Nimmo to some uh, discomfort that was, you know, they were keeping him out mainly as a precaution. Um, part of it is that you are getting players like DJ Stewart playing every day now, or most days now, and, uh, you know, uh, Rafael Ortega, just players that probably shouldn't be playing every day in the major leagues in 2023. And, uh, you know, so you're going to have a couple of those, a couple of extra of those spots in the lineup. But it seems like it's kind of even gotten deeper than that. Did, am, am I am I just was I overstating this team's talent that by taking away a couple of by taking away Mark Canna and Tommy Pham, the offense is going to totally die? Or are you <laughs> similarly shocked by the the utter destruction of the offense over the past week? Yeah, I I guess I'd, I'd probably just chalk it up more to everyone in that clubhouse having the balloon popped. Uh, sure. And I think to some extent players, you know, from our perspective, we, we hear them after or before or after a game when things aren't going well and all the baseball cliches come out, uh, you know, whether it's, it's on us to play better one day at a time type things. Uh, we believe in the talent in the, that we have here in the room all those sorts of things get said. And I think a lot of the time we, we take it as it, they're saying what they have to say. And maybe it is some of that, but I think there also has to be some level of, um, I, I don't know, uh, to, to borrow from different forms of enter entertainment, suspension of disbelief, right? Like right, it's right. just, mm -hmm. I think the players in any clubhouse especially one that came into the season with such high expectations kind of have to believe that things are going to turn around. So 
Uh, I'd be curious. Uh, it, we've some of the lineups too. I think we're going to see more rest for uh, some of the Mets better players than than we normally would over the last couple months of the season. But yeah, I think it's a combination of all that. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder. You know, on one hand, I I, I think it would make sense that on a team like, and I'm trying to think of a of a team. It's funny. My go-to for years when I'm talking about bad teams have been the Reds and the Orioles, uh, both of whom are in playoff positions right now. So uh, let, let, let's talk about the Nationals, a team that came into the year knowing they were going to be bad. I think for some of those players, they say the they say the things we're talking about. You know, we believe in the talent we have on the field. It's on us to hit better. I didn't execute my pitches. I shouldn't, you know, I think they they believe those things, but they believe them with a wink, which is that they are saying the I, the expectation of this season was always going to be not great. And so we're playing out the string here. We're going to try our best, but we're not surprised when we're doing bad. I think that that's definitely true. But I also think for some of these players that maybe to play it at the, to be the best you can on the field, you have to believe that stuff. There's, right. There has to be some sort of, if you don't believe you're doing, you're capable of greatness, then you can't get yourself fired up for for the game that day. So I, I don't know if the players are the first or the last to know this stuff, right? Um, and I also think that even though we were talking about the Mets being sellers on the pod last week, I think the degree to which they were sellers surprise people and i think that a lot of folks feel that the trading of justin verlander is in a sense in a sense punting on 2024 and the team has not said that the team has said they will be competitive next year but they're really looking to 2025 for the uh you know the next real big splash I believe that to a certain degree, but I also think that if the Mets got the feeling in the at the winter meetings that Shohei Otani was would take just the biggest contract offered, they would offer him the biggest contract available. I think Cohen's money means they're never really punting on a season. I know folks are going to call me a uh, a Homer or a Pollyanna or whatever for believing that, but I I just nothing about that guy says to me that he is not going to try and field a good team every single year. Do you do you agree? Oh with yeah, that? no, I I totally agree. So the the difference between what you heard from Scherzer and Verlander in terms of the, like their comments about having been traded and what their conversations were like and all that, um, I think part of that is a difference in personality with the two of them. But I I don't know I I think that was a good way to get Max Scherzer to say that he was we'll going to trade somewhere else. else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and look, he's not an idiot. I, I don't I don't think he could necessarily just be manipulated that easily. Um, if that is sort of what the Mets were trying to do there, but um, whatever that conversation was, they they sold him on the concept of being traded. So that uh, that happened. I <clears throat> I just I have a hard time believing that all of a sudden. Uh, the off season is going to hit, and Cohen's just going to go. Now nah, we're just we're just going to wait and see what these prospects can do. I I think I've read a, a 
variety of opinions and sort of had my own opinion of what maybe they'll do this winter. But I think everybody expects they're going to sign players to try to fill out a roster in, in such a way that the team can be competitive if things just break reasonably right. Um, this season is not on any one or two players, but I think if you told everyone what Jeff McNeil and Starling Marte's numbers would look like at this point of this season, back on opening day, nobody would have believed that. Right. Uh, just <clears throat> massive drop-off. So I, I, I think we have plenty of time to go and look at who the free agent class is. And I think all of us have probably done that a little bit already, but there's plenty of time to sift through it and identify maybe what our preference is for the Mets going into the off season. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine that they're going to have a Wilpon off season where, um, it's all fringe guys, waiver pickups, um, you know, I, I don't expect a Brad Emaus uh, situation <laughs> good, good to call. come out of this. A Chunling who, perhaps? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I'll believe him when I see it. And if if they're really going to punt, I do understand um, the reaction that trading Verlander was was sort of a significant step. In, in determining what next season is going to be. But it doesn't mean it's impossible. And, and look, Verlander's comments after he left, and to be clear, Scherzer's, I didn't think we're like lacking class or anything. I think it's just a different person and a, a different way of communicating. Yeah. Um, but Verlander was just went high road, all class, specifically said that he thought the Mets could be competitive <clears throat> even in his absence. Um, in short order, but I I think the Mets hit a point where it was like okay we we tried this eighty six million dollar experiment with two Hall of Fame pitchers, um, didn't work out as a package deal, and it's not just on on them. I mean Verlander has essentially was living up to his deal aside from having been hurt early in the year. Um, you know he wasn't contending for the Cy Young, but certainly pitching well enough that you're not going to, you know, cry over uh, dollars per win. Right. Type stuff. Scherzer obviously was a little disappointing, but I think you, you could, you could have kept Verlander and been on a little more of a, like medium ground between farm system replenishment and what the major league roster looks like. So I, I, this is all like a long winded way of trying not to sound too much like I'm rationalizing on behalf of the Mets, but, (laughs) and I, I don't say this lightly replacing 2024 Verlander and Scherzer might not be as difficult as it sounds based on their names. Absolutely agreed. So that that's if they had kept them, I would have been look, these are future Hall of Famers. They might find a tweak, they might find a way. Don't write them off. And I 
for for the Rangers and Astros, I wouldn't write them off either. Um, I know there's been that difference between the two of them and their performance this year, but you know, if October rolls around and and those guys are putting up good starts in the playoffs, nobody should be shocked. But um, if you know, if Verlander's a three low threes ERA guy and Scherzer's a low fours ERA guy, and the innings total isn't 200 plus anymore. I mean, that, that's been a topic a lot this season that it's just not even, it's, it's rarely happening at all. Never mind regularly. Right. Um, but you, you start to look at free agency and, and, and say, Hey, you know, maybe there's a way that, uh, Jordan Montgomery is one guy who's sort of caught my eye. He, he also was traded at the deadline. Um, solid major league starting pitcher maybe he's taking a step forward he's 30 years old and that's somebody who in a willpon offseason i might look at and be like wow that that's the ceiling maybe they can get him and mix him in with the guys who are already in the organization um and and yeah that's not a super young pitcher but when you take a decade off the age um the difference between somebody like him and Scherzer next year uh, might not be that much. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, if we're wrong, if they do really nothing this off season and they go into next season with, with the team looking more like it does today, um, then, okay. Then we adjust our expectations and, 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 you know, our emotional investment in, that version of the major league team. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I can't imagine that. Um, I can't imagine that the lineup is going to look this depleted on opening day. I can't imagine that we're going to have to fill two to three roster spots with the likes of David Peterson and uh, Tyler McGill and possibly Joey Lucchese, who just quick aside here, justice for Lucchese, give that guy some starts. He's better than Tyler McGill, I believe. Um, but that's just me. Um, yeah, I, I, I tend to think that next season, what, what I think they were trying to tell Verlander and Scherzer, besides just, hey, wave your claws so we can trade you and replenish our farm system, was just that maybe this isn't the year that we spend, that we go this high over the luxury threshold again in order to win. Maybe this offseason we're not going to be looking to, you know, bring in every major free agent that we can get a hand on. Um, Which they, you know, a lot was made about how many players the Mets or how much money the Mets were spending this offseason. But ultimately, outside of Scherzer and Verlander, outside of Scherzer and Verlander, nobody was, I guess Senga was brought in on a big money deal, but Senga's deal is not, I mean, Senga's doing very well. I'm very happy with, with Senga's contract. If Senga was performing not quite this well, you wouldn't look at that contract and say, oh, what an albatross around our neck that contract is, right? The, the Mets, right. They, there wasn't, there was a lot of money spent, don't get me wrong, but aside from Verlander and the money already owed to Scherzer, it wasn't like they were spending unsustainable, gigantic, 
pools of money on players that didn't work out. The players they traded away that were signed this offseason. Verlander, as you said, was living up to his contract. David Robertson was exceeding expectations on his contract. Tommy Pham was probably tenfold exceeding expectations on his contract. You know, Dominic Leone was picked up for nothing and wound up being traded for a potentially interesting uh, prospect, although probably the least interesting of the ones that were picked up. But, you know, just there, there it wasn't like this was a total, uh, you know, a total throwaway of the offseason at the trade deadline. That's not really what happened. The players who were traded, who they signed, were doing well. This team had bigger issues than the payroll. And that's, uh, to me, that's that's the, the key when talking about it. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. But let's very quickly talk about what the Mets brought back for all of these players. Um, the short answer is that the Mets completely remade their farm system. I had a quick chat with two of our friends from from Complex to Queens. You'll hear them talk about this in detail next week, but or I guess tomorrow when you listen to this or the day after. Um, you know, the the Mets brought in eight players, the eight prospects at the deadline. Six of those prospects are no doubt top 20 prospects in the system of those six four of them are top 10 and three of them are top five i mean according to lucas and thomas the mets went from a possibly bottom three system in all of baseball to minimum top half system in baseball that just doesn't happen overnight usually the, the Mets got an incredible influx of talent this deadline. And I understand that prospects are, they are not the same as, as bringing in, you know, established major league talent. A lot of these guys are not going to be ready for two or three or four years and maybe will never quite be what we're hoping they're going to be. That's just the nature of prospects in baseball. But this does two things for the Mets. And, Anyone who really knows baseball knows these things, but you and I were talking the other day about how people can't seem to see this. In addition to these players possibly being future all-stars, future important pieces of the Mets, these players can also be traded for other players. And these these players might be uh, 
the linchpin that delivers. I'm going to make it up. I'm going to say Mike Trout to the Mets next season, which is not going to happen. But let's just, you know, let's pretend here. When you have a stocked farm system, it's not about every single prospect hitting and becoming a star. It's about finding a time or rather finding a way to turn those players into the best thing you getting the best possible return for those players, whether that's their actual talent or using them in a trade elsewhere. And so is it sad that the Mets punted on the season? Absolutely. But like you said, I don't think replacing the guys traded away, not replacing their names, but replacing their actual talent on the field in 2024 is as tough as people are maybe thinking it is. And I think there's almost no other way for a team to rebuild their farm system so quickly than to do what the Mets did. And the Mets didn't even go extreme. Look, the Mets could have traded Pete Alonso. It would have been dumb, but they could have done it, and they could have gotten another three or four excellent prospects for him. They could have traded, um, I don't know, there's lots of them. They could have traded Adam Onovito for a bag of baseballs. They could have traded Brooks Raley for something. They didn't completely right. tear down and trade everyone. But what what they got from the deadline I think has to be commended. And I have been hard on Billy Epler as a GM, but I think that this was a pretty masterful performance of restocking the farm over the last week or so. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And I, I, I think what what comes to mind for me too, specifically uh, regarding the potential to, to trade some of these guys away if things go exceptionally well, um, you know, during next season or even, even over the off season, if an opportunity presents itself <clears throat> is that they got highly rated prospects from organizations that have reputations of being really good at player development. Right. And, and then I think, um, I highly respect the opinions that, um, all of the current from complex to Queens crew have on the Mets system. Um, also, you know, the ones that, that we're very familiar with, with uh, Amazing Avenue alum uh, at Baseball Prospectus and everything, you know, we, we, it, I, I I think the insight that we all get from them is really, really uh, invaluable as Mets fans. And I think everyone involved in those evaluations, if anything is, I don't want to say too harsh on the Mets because that that's oversimplifying things but always conscious of not giving the Mets the benefit of the doubt just because they're fans of the major league team and, and, you know, therefore rooting for the guys who are in the Mets system. But I think there's always this um, just conscious effort to, to not be homers uh, that, it, that I respect. And I think, you know, it, it can help keep a check on, on the perception of the organization. So within Baseball, I don't know how Mets player development is really viewed by other executives, other, you know, farm directors, organizations, all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, bringing in players from these organizations that seem to be generally very highly rated at it um, can't hurt. You know, I, I I don't know that a prospect who had established what all of these guys have established at this point in their careers would be discounted if they had come up through the Mets system instead. Um, 
but there is something about being uh, having been the Astros' top prospect, right? That organization, even with a cheating scandal under its belt, the organization's operation is is generally praised throughout baseball for, um, you know, knowing what they're doing. So, um, all of that said, I I think. Bringing in those guys, it, it, maybe it's just a little added bonus that they have that background. Um, obviously, one player is not going to come in and, and change how an organization runs its farm system. <laughs> but um, yeah, just a just a little thought, a little little bonus maybe yeah. for having gotten guys from those organizations. So yeah, the. Um, the, the future looks good. And hey, on a, on a, on a personal note, with uh, with more opportunities to see minor league Mets games in my uh, near-term future than major league Mets games, if the Mets weren't going to make the playoffs, I, I'll, I'll gladly take getting to see all these great prospects who weren't in the organization. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, catch them before they make their way up. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh... You know, the Mets have not pulled off a big prospect for superstars trade in a long time. What was the last the last time the Mets traded a huge? Are we is is it the dreaded Kellenic trade? Um, yeah, I guess I guess it would be right. I mean, some of the moves that they made more recently. It, involved minor league players, but not, you know, not anyone who was in a top 50 or top 100. Oh, I, I guess we could count Pete Crow Armstrong for, um, who did put a Crow Baez and by Baez. Yeah. And, uh, and Trevor Williams. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I, that, I, yeah. 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 No, that, that, <clears throat> I mean, he, he hadn't garnered that kind of attention for himself until, after the 2022 season. Right. Um, obviously, uh, you know, that was a little while after that trade happened, but, right. um, but yeah, that, that's somebody who, I guess who is of that caliber. Yeah. But just the idea of, you know, trading a, a top prospect for a superstar is something the Mets have not, have not been super, uh, active in doing uh or have even done much at all in the last you know five or ten years so maybe there's an opportunity right. for the mets to use these guys to to bring in some player that we can't even imagine now you know that's that's always a possibility um but yeah so you know to recap just a little bit before we wrap up here i i think we're both expecting the mets to essentially tank for the rest of the season and we spent about five minutes before the show reviewing the current um, protocols for protected draft picks. And it appears that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, because you and I were hashing this out, but I, I still not, I'm still not sure I 100% have this correct, that because the Mets were more than $40 million over the luxury tax threshold, they need to f- have a top six draft pick in order to be protected in the 2024 draft. 
However, because of the new draft lottery, they are not guaranteed a top six pick if they have a bottom six record. But if they have a bottom six record, they will have the greatest statistical chance of getting a bottom a top six pick. Uh, have, have I stated that correctly? Uh, yes, as far as far as we've read this morning, <laughs> <laughs> that all that all sounds right to me. Um, and the penalty they're looking at is that pick sliding back by ten, which is the same thing that happened in the draft this year. Um, it, and if if they end up in that protected range, then their second round pick slides back ten instead, which at that point of the draft is not really a big deal. Right, um, right. Ten picks in the second round is is not the same as ten picks in the first round. Going from pick number three or four to thirteen or fourteen is a huge is a huge penalty in terms of um. I mean, in terms of perceived value, we all know, you know, Mike Piazza, one of the last players picked in his draft, Hall of Famer, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of perceived value for draft picks, uh, the, the, the the top 10 is sort of considered the clear cut uh, best option in the draft going into it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess the upside here is is that it's okay. Uh, say you, you want to get out to City Field and catch a couple of games before the end of the season, you, you can go root for the Mets. You don't have to root for them to lose every game. And if if the post-deadline performance is any indication, uh, they <laughs> might just take care of this all by themselves. But yes. they could end up with the seventh, eighth, or ninth worst record in baseball and end up with the fifth or sixth pick. <clears throat> then everybody's happy, I guess, right? I mean, like... <laughs> as happy as can be sure so so yeah it's okay i it, we don't have to root for a full-on tank um and and look if they end up with a protected pick and it's that high in the draft great i i certainly am not an expert on um how good next year's draft class looks but we've seen that they have taken players and granted you know, they've been in different spots in that first round, but they've taken players who have, um, I don't know, established that they're legitimate prospects in the first round. So yes. I'm, I'm not saying there's no difference between six and 16 or seven and 17. Sorry, because six wouldn't slide back, but, right. but it, it's not the end of the world if they don't end up there. I understand that people want it since, it's a non-playoff season now. Um, but I, I I wouldn't lose sleep over it if it doesn't happen, I, I guess, is where I'm at. Right. And, you know, with the draft happening later in the season now, too, happening at the All-Star break, it is you're basically not going to see much of these players next year anyway. And so the reason I bring that up is that I think folks are very excited, like you were saying, about going to to see these minor league players and the the idea of adding a, a a top six draft pick further enhances the system and makes it seem like oh maybe maybe next year in Brooklyn we'll get you know the the first round pick. We may not see the first round pick play a single game of baseball next year because of when the draft is now. Um, but yeah, it, it's look. 
I want the Mets to, the Mets to maximize their farm system whenever they can because there is nothing like rooting for a homegrown player. There is nothing like making those huge splash trades, using a prospect. You know, all all of these things are are just a lot of fun to watch. And yes, free agency is awesome and I I love the fact that Kurt Flood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that we have free agency. It is a good thing for everyone involved and I will always uh fight for the rights of players to to be free agents. Yada yada yada. You all know what I'm saying. But to remember when a guy was traded, you know, if if uh, Luis Luis Angel Acuna turns into an absolute superstar, we can all say, "I remember when that guy came over for Max Scherzer from the Rangers, and then we watched him play in the minors." And it's it's, it's a really nice thing to have these long term homegrown players. I will always mark out for that that that's always very exciting to me so we have we have opportunity here to be optimistic about the next couple of years of Mets baseball we know that the Mets have been trying to be bring to bring in a president of baseball operations since Steve Cohen came on board and that hasn't happened it appears if you if you listen to the rumors that uh, a certain executive from a certain team in Milwaukee is up for the job of of president of baseball operations and whose contract just happens to expire at the end of the season um you know there could be some exciting news in terms of rebuilding the front office i i still think billy epler keeps his gm job for another year or so but having a president of baseball operations who can be a more um steady hand at the till and to help the organization just do things like develop a draft philosophy that is better than the one they currently have to remake the player development system. Specifically, I know people talk about the poor job the Mets do at times in developing their pitchers. So maybe that's something that wants to be addressed. You know, there's just, there are things that a president of baseball operations can do that a GM really can't do. And so there is reason to believe that this is the offseason the Mets bring in somebody to really reshape their front office. They have this influx of talent, and Steve Cohen's money isn't going anywhere. So while today is certainly not as happy as if the Mets' offseason plans had gone the way they had hoped it would, I still don't think that this is necessarily the worst possible outcome. Yes, does it feel shitty right now? Absolutely. But I would rather, and I think this is maybe a sign of my illness, uh, my Mets-related illnesses, um, I would rather be in this position today than to relive the end of the twenty uh, of the 2006, 2007 I'm sorry, 2007-2008 Mets seasons when they were in it until the very, very end and then lost everything without making the playoffs. To me, that is more painful than this is. Do you concur with that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that hits way harder. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> having hope until the last day of the season twice. Yeah. Being there in person for both games. Oof, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Again, I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I was there for the, the elimination games in 2006, 7, 8, 15, and 16. Wow. I was not there when they were eliminated last year. <clears throat> so yeah. it's not, not all my fault, but yeah, no, <laughs> I, 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 the last, the last game of this season will definitely be easier to swallow than yes. any of those were. Yeah. And again, I, I, I know that uh, not everyone's going to share my, my views on that, but I, I truly believe that we are better off right now than if they had been clawing their way and just missed the wild card at the end of September. Even if the games between now and then would be much better that way. If you're just talking about quality of game, then I agree this is this is worse. But if you're talking about in terms of emotional well-being, I think this is a better way to go. Uh, anything else to add yeah. about this team before we talk about some music? Um, no. No, I think that covers it. I think it'll be very interesting to see what we have to talk about over the next uh, two months of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But uh, stay tuned. We'll come up with something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what is your music pick for this week? So I was trying to avoid going to, uh, <clears throat> you know, a band that I've recommended before, but uh, the Budos band, I caught them live for the second time earlier this summer um they they were pretty great and they put out a new ep and it, it's just really good <clears throat> so i'm gonna revisit that well and, and recommend it um you, you can get a 12 inch vinyl of it if if you're so inclined and it's uh you know it's just it's just a few tracks as is typically the case with an ep but uh, it's called frontier's edge and basically if you've been listening for a long time and you listened to that other Budos band recommendation um, from many episodes ago, Hey, why not listen some more? But if you haven't <laughs> Budos band are, are just a lot of fun. And one of my favorite combinations of um, just sort of guitar and bass driven music that has a lot of horns and, and like, that that sounds like such a simple explanation of of it. You love ska, but, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't love ska, <laughs> although if you spend a lot of time, if you if you spend enough time in Massachusetts, you you uh, I think Brian, you had actually made the joke that you're you're contractually obligated to hear the mighty mighty boss tones. Yeah. But um, but yeah, um, Budo Spend had been on Daptone Records out of brooklyn for like 20 years they they went out and started their own label called diamond west um records or recordings or uh, i forget the official title off the top of my head but this is their first release on the label that they created um and it, everything about this venture sounded like it was very um harmonious and it was just sort of their next their next phase and um they put this out as the first release from their band on that label uh, which is always a, a cool and exciting thing um, for a band to get to do. So obviously the most important thing here is that the music is really good. Um, and, you know, they, they played off of this uh, when I saw them earlier this summer. And uh, <clears throat> there's no bad time of year for it, but we often talk about music fitting a season and their music goes very, very well with warm weather. 
for me. So uh-huh. check it out. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you talk about warm weather. I feel like my pick would actually be better for the winter. Um, but it is something I've listened to a lot lately. It is a local to uh, New York City slash northern New Jersey band. They're called the Royal Arctic Institute. Uh, I don't know if the winter thing is just because they have Arctic in the title, and so I think of it in cold weather. But they are an instrumental rock band from uh, the aforementioned New York City slash northern New Jersey. Uh, they put out two EPs over the last, uh, I guess it was two years or so. One of them was called From Catnip to Coma, and the second one was called From Coma to Catharsis. And they are releasing both as a single vinyl LP. Uh, I believe it's next, no, this month now. They're playing some shows in the area to celebrate it. Uh, I'm hoping to get to one of them. They're playing at a uh, it's a very cool place about 30 minutes from me that is a a coffee shop slash record store and they're playing there uh a show to celebrate the vinyl release but it's um if if you sort of look at their socials and that they will describe themselves as post-punk or cinematic jazz and both of those make sense to me they're they're instrumental music that is very um it, it is not super flashy in terms of I think sometimes people hear jazz and they picture someone like blowing a crazy solo. And that is not how this band operates. A lot of it is more atmospheric and slower, but also really, um, really interesting and engaging. The word cinematic is a good way to put it. It does sometimes sound like music from a film, uh, but I, I really, really enjoy it. There is uh, you know, guitar, bass, keyboards, drums. And occasionally got some pedal steel guitar, and I, I love pedal steel guitar. It's one of my favorite uh, little um, touches that a band can put on a, on an album. For those that have never seen, if you ever want to just be impressed, just look up somebody playing pedal steel guitar on YouTube. Because not only are you using both of your hands, you're also using your feet and both of your knees to play it. Because there are knobs you play with your knees and pedals you play with your feet, and then you're doing this stuff with your hands. It is watching someone play pedal steel well is a marvel and uh this band just makes music that is really perfect for uh whether it's like late at night or early in the morning with your coffee or just it just sends it just gives me a really really interesting enjoyable chilled out sound and uh you know i mentioned before i think it's maybe more winter music but i also think that a lot of times when it's very hot and very humid I want some sort of chilled out music. So maybe this is the perfect summer record. I don't know. But the most recent of the two EPs and my favorite of the two is called From Coma to Catharsis. Like I said, you can pick up the double vinyl, the vinyl of both those EPs together real soon. Um, but yeah, that's my pick. The Royal Arctic Institute From Coma to Catharsis. And uh, as always, we thank you for listening. Uh, this was uh, uh, an interesting week of Mets fandom, and hopefully uh, you were following along with us either through our podcast or on AmazonAvenue.com, and we hope that you continue to do both of those things. Um, please go to Patreon.com slash Homer and Applesauce to support this podcast directly. Uh, Chris, where where are your socials now? You're on uh, Twitter and Threads, technically? Yeah, Twitter, Threads, Instagram, at Chris McShane. Uh, varying degrees of activity. Yeah. But, but yeah, they're all there. <laughs> yeah, uh, all those plus Blues Guy from me at Brian is an app. I did have some like three in the morning skeets as they're calling them. I can't believe they're actually calling Blues Guy tweets skeets. It's like no one listened to Little John in the, in the 2000s. But uh, uh, yeah, so follow me wherever at Brian is an app. And until next time, let's go Mets.